The proposed Dying with Dignity Bill falls short in ensuring the protection of the right to life, and this is according to the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission. Uh, in a written submission to the Oireachtas Justice Committee, uh, which is considering the legislation, I think today actually, the group argues that the bill will need to be substantially revised from its current draft if it is to properly account for the wishes of all people who want to end their life. And the Commission has also urged TDs to ensure that robust and adequate safeguards are in place to ensure that particular groups, including disabled people, people with life-limiting illnesses and older people, are not at risk of being exploited through the bill. The Dying with Dignity Bill, which would permit terminally ill people to avail of medical assistance to die in certain circumstances, was voted into committee stage in the Dáil last year, and it goes before the Arctic Justice Committee today. The Arctic Justice Committee is currently considering submissions on the proposed legislation from individuals and groups. In its submission... The IH or EC tells TDs that any law which allows for the assisted dying must be guided by a human rights model of uh, disability and follow extensive consultation with all at-risk groups. And the Commission also calls for the legislation to expressly state that no person should qualify for medical assistance to die solely on the grounds of their disability or age. It says that the bill should be amended to include a maximum threshold in relation to how soon a person's likelihood of dying is. For example, six months. In other words, if a doctor says to somebody you're terminally ill, that means they could live for 20 years. Being terminally ill doesn't define how long you live for, but they're saying in the bill it should be qualified as, say, six months. In other words, that a person must be really on their last legs. Uh, the IHREC further suggests that certain categories of people should be prevented from being a witness to a person's stated desire to die, such as relatives and those who are responsible for providing care to the person concerned. And it says the proposed law should be changed to provide for the establishment of an independent oversight mechanism which could review and affirm a person's stated declaration to their desire to end their own life. And of course, they must be of sound mind. Now, I'm going to speak to Philip Nishka uh, in a couple of minutes. And uh, Philip is the... Uh, founder of Exit International and became the first doctor in the world to administer a legal, lethal, voluntary injection under the short-lived rights of the Terminal Ill Act 1995. But before I do, I want to get your thoughts on assisting somebody to die, which is currently illegal in this country. Many people think of Dignitas, of course, in Switzerland and places like that and other countries around Europe where it is legal. But what do you think? Now, I understand asking the question will have a polarising effect, but we have all seen somebody suffer unfairly due to a long-term illness. We've all been at the bedside of somebody who's gasped for breath, and you almost say, God, will somebody put a pillow over their head? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but to put them out of their misery. We would do it to a dog, and that's the argument. The argument against, of course, the Dying with Dignity Bill, or the argument against assisted suicide is that it will be exploited, and it diminishes and demeans the elderly. And it makes their lives less, less valuable, according to some people. So, should euthanasia, or assisted suicide, whatever word you're comfortable using, should it be legalised in Ireland? That's the question I'm asking today. Do you believe it should be legalised? Should somebody who has a long-term illness and a terminal illness be allowed to be assisted by a professional medic, i.e. a doctor, to die? And assisted in that way, in that fashion. Let me know what you think. The number is 087-188-0008. That's 087-188-0008. Which side of the fence are you on? Now, let me go to Dr. Philip Nishka. Uh, Philip, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Uh, well, I know it's not afternoon where you are. You're in Australia at the moment, probably the middle of the, probably the, middle of the no, night. No, so. no, 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 I'm in, I'm in Amsterdam. So it's, it's, it's 
very much the same time as you. Just a little later. All right, okay. Philip, I mean, you're famous for many reasons, not only being the first doctor to obviously be involved and, and to obviously the, the founder of Exit International, but you're also famous here in Ireland for having the most complaints on the Late Late Show um, because you, you appeared many years ago when I suppose debate was stifled quite a lot when we talked about these things. And, you know, a lot of people from Catholic Ireland would have complained about your very existence and the very idea of assisting somebody to die. But do you understand their fears? Well, I know that we've had some difficulty when we've travelled to Ireland. We've done it several times in getting a venue where we can hold a meeting. I think Ireland, in fact, Dublin holds the record of being the place where we've had most cancellations, one after the other. So, yes, we're sort of aware of the rather specific circumstances that would exist in that country, in your country. Uh, But I do agree that it does need to be something done about the situation for people who want help to die. And the situation you've currently got there with no legislation is pretty unsatisfactory. And a trial of people, of course, head over to Switzerland, where they see that they have a rather more civilised, civilised piece of legislation which allows Irish people to get the help that they need. Now, surely you don't have to do that. And surely Ireland's in a position to pass some legislation to, 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 to allow that process to take place mm. in your own country. And, and I know you, you've mentioned that you've had more cancelled events in Ireland than anywhere else, I, probably because Ireland, of course, is a Catholic country. Now, of course, religion is not as much of a part of our lives as it would have been going back 20 years ago. But in saying that, there is this kind of theory out there by people who practice their religion, and quite a large percentage of people in this country, that the only person that gives the right to do that is God. And he's the one. In other words, you die when you die, and you leave it up to the, in the hands of God, and that nobody should assist you to go any, to, you know, to do that any quicker. Yes, I'm, I'm aware of that, uh, that argument, and I can respect people who have that view, and I think they should comply with their own thoughts and beliefs. What I don't agree with, though, is that they should uh, force their views down uh, down my throat. I, I don't believe that myself, uh, and uh, and I would like them to respect the fact that I and I imagine a great number of Irish people feel that they should be the persons who make this decision about when their life has become so burdensome uh, that the time has come when they would like to put a compassionate end to it. I mean, we would. Well, they're they're saying that we don't need a referendum. Some people believe that it will be challenged uh, because it will go against the constitution. But that will re- remain to be seen when the legislation goes through. Um, but in saying that, they're saying the legislation is too diluted. In other words, there's no maximum time on the likelihood of a person's death. This is an interesting point. In other words, if you go to a doctor and he says you're terminally ill, that could mean you're going to die tomorrow or it could mean you're going to die in 20 years. It depends on the person. I know people who've got terminally ill diagnosed and live for 15 or 20 years. But they're saying in the legislation that this should be uh, the likelihood of dying for, say, put a qualified time in of six months. Would you agree with that? No, I look at it's very difficult. I mean, one thing you do learn when you're involved with people that are seriously ill is that trying to predict the time which a person is going to die under so-called natural circumstances is almost impossible. Your, your phone line is just coming and going slightly, Philip. Maybe if you could move the phone just a little bit, sorry. Yes, I, I, I find certainly it, it's very hard to try and determine when a person is going to die. The idea of defining someone as terminal and then having to give a time limit on that uh, on that definition is almost impossible. So, yeah, but if you but if they got what they said and they're stating that wording should be something along the lines of reasonable medical judgment of uh, you know the likelihood of a person dying within a six month period. In other words, if you got two doctors and said this person has you know terminal cancer and yes, they're not going to survive more than six months. Well, then, but if somebody said if a doctor turns as well, they could last six months. They could last six years. I don't know. That's still a terminal diagnosis. 
So should that person be allowed to have assisted suicide? Well, I, look, yes, because I'm not, I'm not in favour ourselves. And the model that we propose, we propose a model which is somewhat similar to the Swiss model where they don't set out to try and define uh, a person as terminal and try and give some sort of quantification to the time they're likely to live. I mean, the Swiss model doesn't do that, and I think it should be looked at closely. Uh, it's not part of your model. It's been considered in Ireland. You're going to try and fix this idea of terminal illness, and that's very difficult. And I think you will find a lot of people contesting this. And as you've said, people who, who will claim that they should be eligible when others will say they're not, it'll be left up to a panel of doctors to make the decision. It won't be a right to die from the person who's suffering. It'll simply be a right for the person who's suffering to ask a question. I call it beg and grovel laws because you'll have sick people begging and groveling saying, please help me. And you say, sorry, you're not eligible. You're not sick enough to qualify. Now, that's not happening in Switzerland. Do you, do you think that a assisted death or assisted suicide or euthanasia, whatever word people are comfortable using, do you believe it devalues life somewhat? Because people, the argument, there's an argument out there that elderly people, for example, particularly those who would be frail or those who would be cared for, would feel their life isn't worth living, that all of a sudden we've devalued life to only the healthier, really, the, the, the ones worth living anymore. No, I think it's almost the opposite of that. The, the fact that if you actually start taking notice of a person when they say, look, I've had enough and now is the time I wish to die, that actually values or gives some credibility to their thoughts. To simply say, I'm sorry, you can't even ask that question or make that statement. That devalues a person. We often get the argument that, look, if we pass that legislation, you'll have avaricious children forcing their ageing parents to go down this path and do the right thing and end their lives and perhaps hand over the inheritance. Mm. But what I find more and more in the situation where I meet with elderly people quite often, they say, look, it's my daughter or my son who's urging me to have another round of chemotherapy. They're urging me to keep fighting the cancer, mum. And what I say is, please just let me go. So in a sense, by not allowing them to even consider this option, that's what devalues people, not the opportunity that they might have with a piece of well-crafted legislation to have their, their wishes respected. I mean, do, do you think as well there should be any conditions to assisted suicide? Like, I'm a very healthy person, I think, 57 years of age, um, and suicide is not illegal, although it was in this country at one point. Um, I don't know how they legislated for that, but anyway. Um, should I be able to go to Philip Nishka, for example, if Philip was, of course, still practising, which I know you're not anymore, but, if, but I mean, you did for many, many years, and you assisted people to die as well for many, many years. Should I be able to go to Philip Nishka or to an organisation as a healthy person and say, Listen, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm out the gap here. You know, can you help me out? Well, of course, our, our personal view of our organisation is that, yes, you should. I, we see this in the broadest possible terms. That this is a human right. This is not a privilege for the sick. This is a human right. That if you're a rational person, an adult, like you clearly are, uh, and you come along and say, I would like to be able to get the means for a peaceful death, you should have that means provided. That's our position. You've got to be of sound mind. You've got to be an adult. But, but I wouldn't really be, but Philip, I wouldn't really be of sound mind. If I was 57 and wanted to die, I'm not. I'm clearly not of sound mind, am I? Well, hang on. No, 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 no. We get a lot of people with good social reasons. They're not sick. Social reasons for wanting to end their lives. Perhaps the most common example that we see in Switzerland is when couples come along. One person is very sick and the other person, that is a couple that they've shared their life with for the last 50 years, says, I want to die when they die. So we allow in Switzerland 
that person's wish to die to be considered. Would, it, would, not it, not be, would it not be better that we had, you know, uh, counsellors and psychologists to talk to these people and say, well, okay, your wife is very sick, you know, she wants to die, and th- that's fair enough, but you're a perfectly healthy person. You know, you, you'll be, even if you're religious, you'll, you'll go and meet her at the party gates at some point, but look, you have another 20, 30 years in your life, it's well worth living and talk to that person, because clearly they're suffering from depression, uh, the, the, the consideration of the loss of their loved one. Well, I don't know. They've, they've been often counseled, I wouldn't say counseled to death, but what happens, of course, when you do see a situation with couples is that there's such a concern over their decision that people go out of their way to try and make the person who's not sick and who wishes to die with their partner feel valued, as you're suggesting. But sometimes counselling can't do that. They've got this belief. That's what they want. They want their wishes respected. I think the wishes should be respected. Mm. It's a situation where people... Where people uh, who are of sound mind, rational and not sick, should have this option. And that's not going to be obviously considered under this new Irish model. I mean, in, in your years, uh, and I know you've been around for a long time, since 1995 or so, I mean, how many people have you, have you assisted to die? Well, what we do now, of course, is give people the means or tell them about how they can obtain the information, yes. Which, which, by the way, is currently illegal in this country to even give people information on it or to assist somebody to to book a flight even to Switzerland is illegal. Yes, of course, we did watch with great uh, concern over Gail O'Rourke's... That's right, we've had Gail on the show many times, yeah, yeah. Yes, well, I mean, that was just bizarre and got global attention. We thought, good heavens, simply going and finding, trying to help someone get a ticket to go to a country which has compassionate legislation is considered to be an Irish crime. So I was a bit taken aback by that. But uh, yes, well, I mean, giving people good information, that means they can get the best drugs and then they can take the step themselves. Well, so many, many, but, but Philip, how many people have you actually assisted in your, in your years? Well, Personally. you call that assisting? I mean, giving people the information and getting the drugs, it's thousands. Making sure they've got the correct drugs, I suppose it's hundreds. Actually sitting there and giving them an injection to end their lives, well, that only t- took place under the legislation, which was the world's first back in uh, 1996. Darwin, Australia. Yeah, back in 1996, yeah. and that was that was overturned in 1997, I think, wasn't it? Yes, it didn't. So you only really long, got a year out of that. But, it, but mind you, in that year, did, did did you see many patients in that in that year? Look, there was only the five. Uh, two two travelled in from other states of Australia. Two were local, but uh, it caused huge controversy. It was the world's first law, and it only lasted a short time before the federal government of Australia got so nervous and anxious that they overturned it. Yeah, and I, and I know back in 2014, the Australian Medical Board suspended your medical registration, and on, in July 2015, the Supreme Court found the board's decision to be unlawful and immediately restored it, to which then you decided you'd set it on fire. Sorry, you burned it. Well, so yeah, you made a personal choice. Uh, to, to re, to well, re- yeah, the condition, the condition that the medical board says you cannot publish a book which gives information so people can have choice. This is the book, The Peaceful the Pill, of course, yeah. Yeah, that was the one step too far. I mean, effectively said, you can be a doctor, but you cannot write that book. Uh, and that book became, had become, by that stage, the bestseller on how you can take this step and peacefully, reliably end your life. So I thought that was a bit over the top for the medical board. Uh, and I thought I'd rather not be a doctor if that was one of the conditions. And, and in the book, The Peaceful Pill, of course, is, which is, I suppose, giving people advice somewhat, or, or it's almost like counselling, I suppose, and how people can end their life peacefully. We do that already, don't we, to some degree, because we have hospices, um, you know, and we have hospice care and people who have terminal illness. I mean, they're given the best of medications. They're given the best. And realistically, when we up the dose of morphine, when somebody is dying of cancer in hospital, we are essentially assisting their death. 
Yeah, that's true. But it's not usually the patient who's determining whether that happens. It's usually determined by other people. And this is the point. If you want control and you want to make that decision yourself, you've got to make sure that you're running the show. And to run the show, you really have to be, I would say, making sure you've got access to the best drugs yourself. So going into a hospice, seriously, or perhaps and hoping that some compassionate person will up the morphine until you die, might work, and often does, of course, but you're not in control. You're really just a person who might get lucky. All right, well, look, I, I'm, I, this is, as I said, this is going before the Oireachtas Justice Committee, and they're asking for changes in the legislation, which I'm sure you're not very happy about to hear those changes that they want to put in. <laughs> these, and they want to dilute it down a little bit. Um, and I, I think this will probably take about another six months to a year anyway before it comes to that. I'm curious if they did have a referendum uh, in relation to it. I don't know whether they have to have a referendum because it may be challenged. Um, how many Irish people would would vote for what you would like uh, or what the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission would like, which is a watered-down version of your of your theory. But it would be interesting to see. Uh, listen, Philip, thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you coming on the air. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was good. Uh, there you go, Philip Nishka, uh, who is the uh, founder of Exit International, and on the line is Maliki as well, Maliki Steenson, solicitor. Maliki, I mean, this has gone before the Oireachtas Justice Committee. The Human Rights and Equality Commission have warned that there is no safeguards in this legislation. Uh, you're obviously opposed to it. I'm totally opposed, but, but I would take issue with your argument that this is some kind of a religious argument. It's not. No matter what religion people belong to, they, in general, believe in the sanctity of human life, and they believe that people should have as good a life as possible. And that generally means that you don't put down somebody who is no longer a benefit to society. I didn't say it was I mean, strictly a religious argument. I did say that in Ireland, no, because, it was a Catholic, because it was a Catholic sure. country, I, I mentioned to Philip Nishka that when he was on The Late Late Show, they had the most amount of complaints they'd ever received for one guest. Uh, and that was because at the time, that was kind of 15, 20 years ago, we were living in a country that would have been a lot more religious. And religious people do believe God is the only one who has the right to take life. Well, no, I would say that, that almost every human being on this planet believes in human life, regardless Absolutely. of whether that... Absolutely. The preservation of human life. Yes, the preservation of human nothing, life. nothing to do with religion. And my, my views are not formed by religion. I believe it's wrong to kill a child before it's born. And I believe it's wrong to kill an old man or woman when they're coming to the end of their day. But well, you're, yeah, but, you're, you're, but hang on, hang on. You're, I, I don't think you're comparing like with like, because what you're saying to me is to kill somebody. And I completely, I completely agree with you. But if that person uh, who's elderly or frail or has a terminal illness, if they make a conscious decision, and I'm saying a conscious decision and sound mind, that they no longer want to live, well, then you're not killing them. You're just assisting them in, in their wishes. Okay, then, Niall, why do we spend tens of millions every year? Why do we fund Peter House, for instance? And tell them because they're, because they're people who shouldn't be in that position. Well, 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 arguably somebody sitting in a nursing home today shouldn't be in the position they're in. And we have sacrificed in the past year, and I'm sure you will agree, half of the people who have died from COVID have died in nursing homes because we abandoned them there and we effectively killed them. When you say we killed them, you believe, you believe that people in nursing homes have been neglected? They were abandoned. I mean, how many times have we been told that we have them all vaccinated by whenever? And that keeps moving. Even if you accept that the vaccine is going to stop ending. Okay, well, I, 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 okay, I don't want to go down the COVID route today. And, and, but getting, getting no, back but to it's, this... It's all related, Noel, because what it says is do you, that some do, people's lives are more valuable. Okay, but well, that was the question I was going to ask. Do you believe it devalues right? human life? Of course it does. If I say to you, Noel, that 
I want to get rid of you. And even, you see... Now, yeah, now, see, you. now you're tweeting... No, no, hold on. You're using different language here. Nobody under any circumstances, under any bill, is going to turn around and say, it's grand if Mary wants to get rid of her mother. That's not the way it works. That's not the way assisted suicide works. Mary's mother no. has to feel that she doesn't want to be here anymore. And what is the biggest problem now? And Mary's mother has to be quite ill. What is the problem? No, that, that will change over time. It's the same argument in relation to abortion. It will only be for those who will have severe deformities or severe mental problems and won't have a quality of life that everybody else wants. And then it moves into, oh, you won't have blue eyes or we just don't want you. Now, the reality is that currently, particularly, old people are being told continually, Stay in your house. Don't go out. Don't have your grandchildren visit you. Don't have your children visit you. Don't go outside the door because you're going to be knocked on the ground by this word. They've been told your life is actually of no value to anybody. That's not, that's not what they're being told. On. That's not what they're being told, Maliki. They're being told everything else that you said at the start, but nobody is suggesting people's lives are not valuable. What they're saying is that you're more at risk. What they're saying is, and what they have done, Niles, judging by their actions, all people who went into hospitals were dumped in there and were given no treatment, right? That happened in some cases, yeah. People, and, the, yes, and what the belief that old people have now is that their lives are of no value to anybody. So why should they bother... Okay, but when, when you say right? their lives are of no value, do you agree that there's a value in life at all? Of course there is. Okay, so so uh, okay, yeah, okay. When okay, when you see, let me let me we talk this rationally and logically and honestly. When we see somebody that's a hundred years of age and who has pneumonia and they're in hospital, and then you see somebody who's twenty five years of age and they come into hospital after a road accident, and there's only one ICU bed. I'm not saying this will ever happen, and I hope it never does, but there's only one ICU bed. Whose life in that? particular circumstance has more value because obviously they have more quality of life left in their life. Well, firstly, it is happening today in hospitals in Ireland that those value judgments are being made. Triage, triage. And by the way, 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 in in some circumstances, that's always happened. That's an argument for saying that we should have a better healthcare system. And all of the the problems that we, we have in relation to health is because we have a totally dysfunctional... No, you, you haven't answered my question, but... Because you said you're, you're kind of indicating there's no value in life. There's always been a value in life. And we, we consider that value ourselves. As we get older, I've talked to James, who's a lovely caller, one of the most wonderful callers I have on the show, and he'll come on the air and openly and honestly say, I've had a good life, you know, and I, I'd like to see young people continue to have a good life. You know, and he doesn't mind if he has to go soon. And, and, I, and I don't want to see James go, and he's a lovely man, but, I'm, but people automatically value their lives anyway. Yes, but that's a different thing to somebody else valuing it. And what will happen here is that the state will value it. And they'll say, I mean, people are today praising the, the, the captain in, in England who died at 101, ah. apparently from COVID. But was his life last year not valuable? Well, you know, no, I, I, I don't want to get into um, uh, Captain Moore because a wonderful man has had a wonderful life. Uh, he got a knighthood. He did wonderful work during the year, raised 40 million euro. I, I, I Equally as you are, I would be annoyed at the papers using sensational stories that he battled COVID. He didn't battle COVID. He had pneumonia. He was 101. And he was well, nearly, nearly 101. Nearly 101. Yeah. So, and, he, and his family had said he had been sick for a while. I understand. And, yeah. and, and by the way, we have to accept logically that people die. To get to 100 years of age, by the way, you have a 0.17 chance to get to 100. 
100, 100 years of age. So it's probably not going to happen to most of us. Yeah, so, and every week you live at that age is a uh, week that you oh, probably... Probably and you know what we would have said last year? If Mr. Moore had died this time last year, we would have said, we would have smiled at the thoughts of his death. And I don't mean this in a bad way and said, what a wonderful life he had. Just finally, I want to speak to the first person, by the way, in Ireland who was prosecuted for allegedly assisting someone to die by suicide. Anne has spoken about how she is utterly free of guilt in relation to her friend's death and Gail O'Rourke was acquitted in 2015 on three counts of assisting suicide to her friend Bernadette Ford. Good afternoon to you, Gail. Lovely, hey, Niall. Lovely to talk to you again. And you, and you, how are you keeping? I'm grand, I'm grand. Now, you're involved, by the way, with the Dying with Dignity bill. Um, you are involved with it. Now, what do you reckon in what the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission have said that they want to put in, for example, you know, the likelihood of dying within six months by reasonable medical judgment and uh, putting these caveats into it? Do you agree with them? No, I don't. I, I don't get me wrong. I'm open to, I'm open to, um, I'm open to an ability to have amendments moving forward. But I feel that what this is doing is just pushing it down the line and pushing it down the line and. In the meantime, be it six months, be it a year, there's many people out there who are literally begging for this right. And what about those people? Like, where do they stand while these politicians and decision makers kick this down the road? See, so I, I, and I know there are many people who are confused by this as well, because there's one text here which I'll read very briefly. It says, I don't want to go on the air, uh, but my mother has Alzheimer's she, since 2008. She's now approaching her 96th birthday. She is one of the longest surviving people that I've heard of with this medical affliction, as I call it. She never wanted to end up like this and always had a fear that she would go out one day and forget to come back. She has zero quality of life. And to be honest, you wouldn't let a dog lie in a corner, uh, whether in pain or not. It's not humane to leave someone you love like this. Now, the problem is people confuse this with, because it, with this legislation, that's still not going to answer his call because no. his mother would have to make that decision of sound mind themselves. Yeah, you see, that's the, that's the problem. I don't mean it's a problem. It's not a problem. It's, it's something that should be there to, to keep people... Would it being... A, two, two doctors have to... Two separate independent doctors have to sign off on this and the person themselves have to be of sound mind and body. That's why, and as much as I respect Malachi and I can't believe I'm listening to your show today and I agree on many of the things he said in relation to the nursing home, and the disrespect that's been shown to our elderly. And I do personally feel, and I'm not going to get into COVID, I understand you don't want to talk about it today, but globally it's been the same policy in relation to nursing homes. And I do feel that the elderly have literally, and I don't think to use the word, but it's... Abandoned is probably a better word. I think there's, to be honest with you, I, Niall, I'd go as far as to say they've been murdered because the policies have denied them basic, I mean, even in relation to the lack of testing within nursing homes to determine whether it's... So we, 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 we know what they did at the start. They moved affected people from hospitals into nursing homes at the start. But then they denied testing of the elderly within the nursing homes to determine whether it was bacterial pneumonia, if it was something that could, could have been treated with antibiotics. So they didn't allow them to have the proper treatment. And then these dear and or do not resuscitate things that are put there. So no family there coming in to keep an eye on them. But that's another story for another day. And I'm, I'm, yeah. My blood boils in relation to all yeah, of this. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, with you, I'm with you and Malachi 100% and in I'd relation. I'd like you to call me one day in relation to the COVID stuff because we might have about three hours to talk about <laughs> because there's so many things I'm passionate but, about. But, but getting back to this, and I, I am limited for time, but you don't want anybody else to end up in the situation you were in uh, up there in the four courts be- no. before three judges, essentially, you know, fight, pleading for your own uh, uh, freedom, I suppose. Freedom. Because, I mean, you could have gone to jail for a long time. And it was very possible I was going to go to jail. It was it was very possible if I hadn't been if if myself and Bernard hadn't been so diligent in relation to staying by the guidelines. If one of us had even put a toe over the edge, well, the DPP would have come down on me like a ton of bricks, and I wouldn't be free now. And can I ask you a life. question? Knowing what you know now and what you went through, going to court and standing there thinking you're going, to, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be in the Doka Centre here very shortly. All right. Knowing what you know now, and thankfully, by the way, you were acquitted. And since everybody saw since. 
would you do it again if Bernadette was in that position and you were... No, I wouldn't change a single thing. And if I had been sentenced and I was living out the next eight to ten years in the Doka Centre, don't get me wrong, that's, that's, to me, that's the most devastating thing I could ever have experienced. But it'd probably be one of the only alleged criminals in there that could hold their head up high because there's nothing would have stopped me from doing what I did. See, the court, the court will argue under Irish law there's a fine line between helping somebody to die and killing somebody and, murder, is, and murdering somebody. And, and this is the fine line that we have to define. And we can't... And, and there is an argument there about devaluing people who are sick and elderly and disabled. Niall, and I get Niall, that. The, de- the devaluation is not a listening to that person. That's mm. the devaluation. That's taking their dignity from them. That's somebody like Malachy saying, first of all, he keeps using the kill people word. Bernadette putting them what, down what, is what the, yeah, the word Putting them down. I hate that. It died. Now, Bernadette, in fairness, Bernadette used to say, put me down and post me home. But that was Bernadette's choice to use that terminology because it was her decision to take her life. Bernadette wasn't killed by anybody. Bernadette had dignity in her death. And Bernadette, was, went, the state went against her, wouldn't allow her to travel to take the test where it's illegal they are legal, not illegal. Okay, she, she in the end, just for people who don't remember the story, in 2011, she took a lethal dose of barbiturates. She did indeed, yeah, but yeah. she had no choice. She had no choice but to, to die on her own. And you ordered, and, 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 and to clarify, you ordered the barbiturates for her from I, Mexico. Yeah. Well, she, she did all the online stuff. I sent yeah. off the postal order. Yeah, right. I did. Yeah. Um, I sent off the postal order. But at the end of the day, she had two choices in her head. She could travel to Dignitas and do it surrounded by myself and her nephew, by loved ones, doing it in a dignified and controlled manner. But that was taken away from her and she had to die on her own. Niall, she died alone. She died alone, absolutely terrified. And she couldn't she even have you there because if she I knew was, if you were there, you would have been involved. I would definitely go into prison. Oh, yeah. So she had to die on her own. She had to reach for that bottle, drink that, hope it would work. And she died on her own, hours on her own in that home, looking at that bottle, terrified of it not working. So how is that dignified? How is that... So this is bodily autonomy. It is not for being killed by anybody. The, the, the dying with dignity legislation that's been brought in is very strict, very stringent. The six months thing, I mean, you can't, Bernadette wouldn't yeah, But the problem with the six months thing is, right, now they're saying, you know, the likelihood of dying within six months. I could, a doctor can turn around qualified and turn around and say, you know, Gail, Nile, whatever, you have a terminal illness. You're only going to live, you know, four months. And you could live 25 years. I understand so, that. But Bernadette and Mary Fleming would not have been able to evade this legislation because MS is not a terminal illness. It's not classed as a terminal illness. So there is no six months. So they wouldn't have needed to avail of this type of dignity uh, legislation. Which so it, they'd be still in the same boat with this bill? They'd still be in the same boat, which is a bone of contention for me. So I don't think there should be the six-month thing put on it. I think it should be individual, individual, subjective by that person. And what about age, by the way? I, I know I, I know. in, um, was it Belgium or whatever it is, that there was a 13-year-old child. Now his parents well, made no, the decision no, on his behalf. No, me personally, me personally, I feel, I personally feel that it, can't be, it should not be any younger than 18. Okay. I personally feel that. And I think that there are so many boxes to tick. This is something that somebody can just go and say, I'm depressed, I'm fed up at life, I'm this, I'm that. This is a very, very strict set of rules that they're trying to bring in. So this isn't just flipping. And well, I know. I, I did talk to Philip Nishka there at the start, who, of course, was the founder of Exit International. Yeah. And he, he doesn't put any caveats in. He believes that I should be able to go along to a medical centre and say, give me two tablets there and a glass of water. Mm, I'm, yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. And he even assisted, as he said, he, he talked about assisting uh, people to die. Let's say, for example, you know, a wife is 70 years of age. The husband doesn't want to live anymore without her. She's going, you know, d- to die, you know, with dignity. And the husband, if he wants to go with her, can go. And he's perfectly healthy. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know whether that's right or not. I do. I, I again. I mean, I love Philip. I've met with Philip a few times, and I love Philip. Uh, Philip has a very, a very different set of ideas in his head, and I don't agree or disagree. He's entitled to his own opinion. 
I probably wouldn't follow some of the things that he mm-hmm. he he would allow or accept. Whereas myself, it's it's terminally ill. It's it's. Well, I mean, I mean, look, you saw the pain in Bernadette's face. You saw her, her, no, her need, her passion to want to die. Yeah, no, it. it was, it was black and white. It was she was facing a future of being cared for by the authorities, being hoisted, being washed, being wiped, being fed through a tube, maybe ending up on a ventilator. I mean, that she didn't want that end. And who is anybody else to turn around and say, "Well, I'm so sorry, but tough shit. That does not suit me." That's the end you're having. Um, yeah. That's the end you're having, and we're just going to let you suffer for the rest of your life, and we're not going to listen you and you have no dignity how can any human being force it on somebody else all right well listen i'm running out of time listen gail lovely talking to you again uh, gail o'rourke well. thank you very much indeed uh, all right i'm sure that conversation will go on over the next six months or so as i said you know in a written submission to the Justice justice committee the uh, irish human rights and equality commission have warned and asked for changes to the bill before it goes through the final stages uh, they, they're saying it doesn't need a referendum so it won't need a referendum you won't be asked about it it'll just go through the legislation and I'm sure we will have lots more debates about it before it happens. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.